So we're rolling through this series called Parables, and it's the parables, it's a study of the parables that Jesus had spoken. And today we're going to deal with two parable-type illustrations. These are parable-type illustrations about lamps. And uh, the first illustration is directed more towards believers and people that think they are believers, and you'll see why. So in Luke chapter 8, this, this passage actually isn't in your little handout, but in Luke chapter 8, 16 through 18, it says this, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So Jesus, obviously here, stating the obvious, gives the reason and purpose why you would actually light a lamp and what you do with a lamp. It's so we can see. You don't take your lamp and you don't stick it in the closet. You don't stick it under your bed. You don't cover it with a basket or a bowl, like the passage says. But you're trying to illuminate. You're trying to be able to see. So the question then becomes, what are you trying to illuminate? And the answer to that is, if it's just a regular light, right, it's whatever's in the room. You're trying to illuminate whatever's in the room. You're trying to illuminate things so that you can see, so that you don't trip over them, so that you can do what you need to do in that room when you light a lamp. So then, back to the parable-type illustration, uh, we're trying to, as believers, we're trying to illuminate the truth of Jesus in this world to those that do not know him. Because it goes on in verse 17, it says this, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So now what Jesus is doing here is he's speaking first to his disciples because they're going to be the first messengers of the light. And many people, especially Jewish people of that day, will actually reject Jesus. So the Gospel of John, if you, might, if you remember, it actually starts with a reminder that this would actually happen to Jesus. So it's kind of like a little bit prophetic, but it's just basically stating what happened when Jesus came. And John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 says this, The true light, so Jesus is called the light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So in the beginning of the Gospel of John, it starts differently than the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke with the birth of Christ. In the Gospel of John, it just talks about Jesus coming as the light, even though the world was all made through Jesus are, we are his creation, much of his creation will actually reject him. They don't know him. They cast him off. So although people will reject, that doesn't change the fact that the light will still illuminate our spiritual condition and the people around us. So Jesus is speaking to all of us, telling us that we as believers are to make his light known or to make him known to other people. Many of you that have been around for a while know this church has been here since 1977. And our sole purpose is to make the light of Jesus known into this community, to tell other people about him. We're supposed to go and make disciples. So listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 15 through 16. He says to us, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, like the parable says, but on a stand, 
and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So now this Matthew 5 passage is, through this Matthew 5 passage, we learn that our good works, the good things that we do, actually bring light to this world. You've probably seen that before, maybe in your own life or maybe in the life of others. When somebody does something good and positive, you're kind of attracted to them. You want to be around them because they're doing good for other people on the behalf of other people. So as believers, one of the primary ways that we're actually a good testimony is by doing good. And I know that's very basic, but you have to think about what does my life look like at work, in my family, in my neighborhood? What are people seeing in me? You know, right now we live in a very polarizing time, and we've talked about this many times over the past 15 months. I mean, there's just battles and people's opinions and different things like that. And, you know, Christians, sad to say that many Christians have gotten sucked into it and have created a bad testimony for themselves when they could have been using that time to actually do good. Because do you realize that even non-believers can be doing good? And sometimes it's sad to say that non-believers show us up, okay? They do better than we do sometimes because our focus is off. So as believers, our call is, you know what? Be a light. Part of being a light is actually your good deeds. The good that you do in the name of Christ will shine a light to the people around you. So even non-believers can do good. But then for believers, we kind of take it to another step. That's why in Luke 8, the, the, the remaining part of that little lamp illustration, it says this in verse 18. It says, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. So what does Jesus mean by this statement? Well, he's speaking to believers. You are hearing God's word. And what he's saying is this. When you hear God's word, when you read God's word, when you hear God's word, you need to take care, you need to heed to, and you need to listen carefully to what God is saying. See, as lights in the world, we're called to illuminate truth, and truth comes from God's word. Okay, truth comes from God's word. Now, the disciples, who he was speaking directly to at the time, they had a huge calling. Do you know why they had a huge calling? They didn't have the New Testament yet. Okay, they had Jesus in the flesh right there, and their huge calling was this. They were going to pen what Jesus did and what Jesus said. So they were living the New Testament. They were writing the New Testament. So Jesus was saying, take care of how you hear the things that I'm saying, because guess what? Generations to come will rely on the fact that you are called to pen my word. So as believers now, though, we have his word. We have God's word. So what we need to do as believers is we need to study and help others understand God's word. We need to understand it for ourselves, and we need to help others understand. Because in God's word, we find truth about God. You know, in this day and age, you'll hear people say things like this, especially, you know, around everything that's going on in the world. People will say, you don't know who you can believe. 
Well, I do, okay? His name is Jesus, okay? You go on any media outlet and stuff, and, and I will agree. You don't know who you can believe. But the truth is, for us as believers, we have this amazing promise that we have someone to believe. His name is Jesus. He actually, in and of himself, is the truth. Here's what's happening in our culture. They take the Bible, and they look at it, and they say, Oh, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. I'm going to cast that aside. But we as believers have to realize if we cast the Bible aside, we're actually casting truth aside. And we're saying, I need to find truth somewhere else. And more times than not, and you've noticed this before, when people cast the Bible aside and when people cast real truth aside, guess what? They're on their quest for truth, but they never find anything because they've actually passed by truth. They actually took that light and they tried to extinguish it. They put it under a bowl or under a basket or stuck it in the closet, and it actually didn't, it didn't mean anything to them. Or they're not understanding it or not looking to it. You know, it's funny because we're surprised about stuff like this, right? We're surprised when people reject God. But do you know that the scriptures actually tell us people will reject him? And that's the truth. We're surprised when people call sinful things not sinful. Remember I talked about that a little bit last week? People call things that are sinful not sinful. They cancel it out. They say, oh, that's not sin anymore. In the olden days, that was sin. Not anymore. Well, guess what? We're surprised when stuff like that happens. But the Bible predicts that things like that will happen. People's hearts will grow cold and hard. That's the truth. We're surprised when we're persecuted for doing the right thing. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? You were just trying to do good. You were just trying to help somebody, especially when you're sharing the gospel. You were just telling the, trying to tell them the best news they've ever heard in their life, that God loves them so much that he died on the cross for them. And they're mad at you for it. They don't like it. That's narrow. You have a narrow view of things. Well, we're surprised when people reject that and persecute us for that. But that's the truth. You know what? The list can go on and on. When we look at this world and we look at how things are unfolding, do you know that God's not like, I didn't see that coming, okay? He predicted all these things that were going to happen, all the attitudes and the mindsets that people would have. He knew this was all going to happen. Nothing was a surprise to him. So this passage tells us we need to take care of how we hear and deal with his truth. I mean, realistically, the only way we could really take care is spend time in it. We spend time in so many other things. Think about your life. Just look about your life. I know you need to sleep. I know you need to eat. So that takes, a, that takes care of some time, right? Okay. Well, what else do you need to do? Obviously, you need to work, right? Because you need money to pay those bills. But what else do you need to do? What are the things that you're doing in your life? What do you spend your time doing? I know this is convicting. It's convicting to me because I sometimes I'm just like, man, I do waste a lot of time. I could be spending more time in God's word, more time doing his work. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we all realize there's a good amount of time in our lives that we actually waste. But Jesus is saying, take care how you hear. Use his truth 
daily in your life. And I will tell you this, the more you dig in, the more you're going to learn about his truth, the more you learn about his truth, the more fulfilled you'll be in the living of your life daily because you'll realize, you know what? Some of the things that I've been living for and focusing in on were clearly not as important as what God has for me. But then Jesus says something that we have to take a deeper study into. And it says this, in the, in the end of this uh, little illustration, he says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So let's look at the first part. For to the one who has, more will be given. Well, the question then is, well, what do we have? Okay, if, if I'm the one and you're the one who has because you're a believer, what is it that we have? And what is that, it, that we have is we have the light, which is the truth. If the light is the truth found in God's word is actually Jesus himself, what does that statement even mean? For to the one who has, more will be given. Well, as believers, we have the truth, and the more we dig in, the more we look into the truth, guess what happens? The more we grow. The more we learn and grow, the more God blesses us in the learning and growing. So that's the more given. So the more we have, the more will be given. So basically what it's saying is this. Hey, listen, listen, if you're a believer and you continue to look into truth, and you continue to study. God is going to continue to reveal. God is going to continue to grow you. You know, you might be, have been a Christian for 30 or 40 years and thinking like, I don't have much more growth left. Well, guess what? I know for a fact that you actually do. And not a judgment call on your spiritual life, but guess what? You're still breathing. You're still here. And that means that God is still working with you and still desires you to grow. So the more you have the more will be given. Not only that, God is going to open more opportunities for you in life to serve, to do things. Some of you might be in a stage of life right now, and I've talked to many people, especially in this church, where, you know what, like your kids are a little older, you're like an empty nester, and, and you're just like kind of like, I don't really know what to do with my time. Well, I do, okay? I know what you should be doing with your time. Use the time that instead of before your calling was raise those kids up, disciple those kids. Now all of a sudden you have this extra time and you might be just thinking, okay, I guess I have extra time to relax. And that is true. You do have some extra time to relax, but now you have extra time to do things that before you weren't able to do. Do things for the Lord that before you weren't able to do. Serve in ways that before you were not able to serve in. Now, you have these opportunities as believers to actually have a greater impact. Impact, But then the final part of this little uh, illustration here is this. Then we see the opposite. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Whoa, now this is crazy. What's this one talking about? Well, I believe this is describing the person that does not have the light, or in other words, does not have a relationship with Jesus. They might be a very religious, good person, but they don't trust that Jesus is their savior. So what they think they have, it's even going to be taken away because 
they probably think they have salvation because they are doing things in their own power. The very religious, the very good person thinks they have salvation. They think they have something, but it's going to be taken away from them. It's not that they have it, but they think they have it. You get that? And you might know people like that. You might talk to people like that. You might be like, oh, are you a Christian? And they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. They're like, oh, really? Tell me a little bit about that. What makes you a Christian? I'm a good person. Okay, great. Okay. Um, if you were to die, are you going to go to heaven? Yeah. Well, what makes you think that? Because I'm a good person. I do a lot of good things. Survey says, you know the answer, right? And Okay. That's the wrong answer. Okay. Good religious people are not saved by their goodness and their religion. Okay. We're only saved through faith in Jesus. So there'll be many people that walk through this life that are confused, that don't see the light. Part of the reason why they don't is maybe spiritual darkness, but another part is they just never dig in. They just say, okay, yep, I came to church. I listened to the message. I, I did some nice things for people. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as my neighbor, okay? And, and they just look and they see their life through those lenses. They never truly trusted. They just ran with the church and the religious crowd. Pastor and author Donald Barnhouse has a helpful illustration using the sun and the moon when it comes to the light. Did you know this, that the moon has no light on its own? It's just the reflection of the sun. Did you realize that? It's just the reflection of the sun. So as believers, we are like the moon. We have no light on our own, but we're the reflection of the sun, of Jesus Christ the sun. A person trying to cast their own light is kind of like the moon without a sun. Okay, So that would be an unbeliever. A person trying to cast their own light, you're kind of like the moon without the sun. We need the power of the sun, the sun Jesus, to actually shine our light among other people. Which brings us to the second lamp illustration, and that passage is actually in your handout. Now, the context here in Luke chapter 11 is right after Jesus cast out a demon, and people said Jesus cast out a demon by the power of Satan. So Jesus is going around doing ministry. He casts out a demon, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, but this was through the power of Satan. At this point, Jesus challenged them in their rejection of him. They demanded a sign. Okay, Jesus was going around doing all these signs, doing all these miracles, and they demanded a sign. And he explained to them, what do you think I've been doing, guys? Okay, I've been doing miracles. I've been healing people. I just cast out a demon right in front of your face. Then he reminded them that even the evil people of Nineveh repented when Jonah was sent as a sign to them. But these people right here in front of Jesus were so blinded in the darkness that they would not see who he was. So it says this in Luke 11, 33 through 36, or starting in 33, it says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Again, it starts off. This one starts off with the same way the other illustration. Jesus stating the obvious. Here again is the purpose for a lamp. Here again is the purpose why we turn on the light in the room. He is the light doing these signs and miracles, 
but they are trying to stop him. Or in other words, they're trying to cover up the light. They're trying to put the light in the basement. They're trying to extinguish the light. So then he speaks of the spiritual condition of the lost person. Okay, now this is where we really have to remind ourselves that when people are spiritually lost, when people don't believe, even the people that reject, even the people that are hostile, it's very tempting to, to kind of like not want to be around them, okay? Kind of want to argue with them, maybe just get really aggravated with them. But we have to have compassion on them because they're in darkness. So it says in verse 34, it says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Now, this is not a commentary on eyesight for all of you like myself who wear contacts, glasses and stuff, okay? We're not dark people, okay? This is not a commentary on your eyesight. But he's using the example that when there's adequate light and your eyes are healthy, you see clearly. But when we are in darkness and your eye is unhealthy, you can't see. This is a reference to a person's spiritual life, the life, the spiritual life of a person. Now, here's the truth. We can't expect the non-believing world to see and accept the truths of God's word before they accept Jesus. Let me say that again. We can't expect the non-believing world to see and accept the truths of God's word before they accept Jesus. So you might have some issues like with, you know, the way the culture is, as do I. Any biblical Christian would. But we can't expect the non-believing world to say, oh, I see where you're coming from. I see the truth in your word before they actually accept Jesus. I mean, some will see and they'll be like, yeah, you know what? You got a valid point there. But for the most part, because they're not operating with the Holy Spirit, they don't trust in Jesus. What this passage is telling us, there's a lot of darkness in their life. So you might fight and argue with them about issues that you know are biblical issues and you know our culture is going radically against. And you're like, they just don't get it. They just don't understand. And guess what? You're right. And part of that is that deep-seated darkness that they have because they don't have the light of Jesus. Now think about your own life. You have ideas and attitudes now as a believer that before you were a believer, you'd be like, no, that doesn't even make sense. Okay? Maybe something like giving and serving. Before you were a believer, you never wanted to volunteer your time. You're like, it's my time, okay? I'm going to use it for what I want to do. And then you become a believer and you're like, yeah, this is weird. It's like, I kind of want to, I want to help out. I kind of want to give back. You know, the Lord's motivating me to do more. Maybe you felt the same way about giving. Before you were a believer, you were like, no way am I giving that kind of money, okay? I can better use that myself. And now that you're a believer, you're just like, yeah, you know what? I want to be generous. I don't know why. Well, I know why. Because the Holy Spirit's pressing on your heart, changing you, bringing you from that dark position to light. So now we have these non-believers they don't understand God's word. They don't understand the light. They're not believers. It will be nearly impossible for them to understand the biblical worldview. They're in darkness. 
So then Jesus says in verse 35, therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Now this is a commentary on a person's spiritual condition apart from Jesus. They may think they're doing well spiritually because they believe they are a good person. They believe they're spiritual. Maybe they're religious in their own way. And they think that God will accept them based on their good, the good that they have done. But in fact, the light and the joy they bring to others may make them actually feel good about themselves. And they might think and travel in that path of thinking, I'm a good person. But he's saying, be careful because you may be not believing the true light. You may be going down the wrong path. So they reject the gospel. They think, you know what, like if there is a God... I'm sure he'd accept me. I'm a pretty good person. They reject the truth of the gospel, though. And this is where, like I referenced last week, when we start minimalizing sin and saying sinful things are not sinful anymore, the first step in the gospel is this. You need to admit that you're a sinner. I know I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I let God down. That's what we need to do as believers in, in order to be a believer. We need to admit, I am a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I need a savior. You know, when people say that Christians are judgmental or think they're better than others, I'm like, no, the very premise of being a Christian is admitting that we're not. Admitting that we can't do it on our own. So many will reject that. They'll say, no, I'm not a sinner. But the gospel, the true gospel is we are all sinners and we need a savior. Jesus is that savior. He loves us so much that he was willing to die a criminal's death on that cross. Three days later, he rose to prove that he is God and could save us. And he says, all who believe will have eternal life. He never says all who do good, all who are nice, all who go to church, all who do great things. He says, all who believe. Isn't that great news for us? Isn't that great news for all the people around us? So now... What we need to do is we need to be a light for that message. So Jesus explains what happens to a person when they trust in him. And it says this in verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it'll be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives light. So you know what? Here's what happens. You turn on that light. Just imagine yourself in your dark room dark bedroom. You turn on the light and all of a sudden you see everything, right? You see everything. It illuminates. You realize what's around you, what's in the room. See, as a believer, when you first become a believer, and some of you might remember that time when you first believed, it was like the light went on. I see this now. I understand this. This makes more sense. And even the things that I thought didn't make sense and I'm still struggling with, I see that God has a plan and purpose. Your entire spiritual life is filled with light because the light of Jesus is in you. Having no part darkness in that passage is a reference to the fact that even though as believers we will still sin, that sin is no longer held against us because Jesus forgives us of that sin. It's wiped clean, and when we stand before Jesus, he will only see his light shining back. Think about that for a second. Because of Christ, when we stand 
in judgment before him, whether we pass from this earth physically or Jesus comes and raptures us, he only sees the light of his salvation in us because there is no part of darkness in us as believers any longer. That's something that we as believers need to remember and be thankful for. And this morning, we're going to observe communion. And one of the best things about communion is that remembrance. So let me explain communion, then I'm going to give you a few moments of silence, and then we'll partake together. If you didn't grab a communion cup, they're up here on the front tables. You can grab one, send somebody up from your family and grab uh, one for each member of your family. And communion for believers is a time of remembrance. It's a time for us to actually evaluate our own life. It's a time for us to look at our lives and realize where we've gone wrong, where we've sinned, how we need to take those sins and throw them at the foot of the cross. Jesus got together with his disciples in that last supper, and he broke bread, and he took wine, and, and, and they shared the cup. The reason why he did that was he said, you're going to do this in remembrance of me. You're going to remember something. Think about this. The first communion, they weren't remembering anything yet. Jesus didn't die yet. And then after he died on the cross, his blood was shed, his body was broken. They're like, oh, that's what he meant. It's a constant object reminder of Christ laying down his life for us. His blood being shed, his body being broken in our place for our sins. Something that we as believers should be reminded of every day. I can't do this on my own. I'm a sinner saved by God's grace by the fact that he was willing to go to the cross. So we remember that, and then we confess. You know, maybe you're struggling with something right now. Maybe, maybe your struggle right now is, you know, your attitude. Maybe your attitude is just terrible towards the people in your household, towards your friends or family or work. Do you know a lot of how you're going to operate today is going to be based upon what your attitude is like? And your wives or your husbands here <laughs> might be saying, uh-huh, you know, giving you a little thumb, giving you a little elbow and saying, yeah, you know what? You have a bad attitude. Maybe that's something you got to throw at the foot of the cross. Maybe your bad attitude is just the way things are going in this world. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're struggling with addiction. Maybe you're struggling with your language. Maybe you're struggling with anger. Whatever that is, communion is a time to say, you know what, Lord? I need your help. I know that you're powerful enough to die for my sins, so you must be powerful enough to deliver me from this sin struggle that I'm dealing with right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a few brief moments in the quiet. I know it's not the quietest environment, but I think you can, you can uh, tune out other things and just, you know, be with the Lord. You know, thank him, confess to him, and then we'll partake together.
On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you've put your light in us through salvation. We're thankful, Lord, that because of that light of salvation in us, there is no darkness that stays, that all our sins are forgiven, that you've wiped our slate clean. We're thankful for that. We pray now, Lord, that the light that we have, your salvation, we share with others. We spend time as believers digging into your word, getting to know you better so that we can share the light with other people. We know there's much darkness in this world and you predicted that that would happen. You came into this world as a light to reveal the dark spaces. So we pray, Lord, that, that you would just continue to use us as lights in this world. If we haven't been lights, I pray that we would confess that and spend time being a light to the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.